thought for a little bit that everybody's going to sit right over in this section, and I'd set up over there. But uh, I noticed a few folks moving in this way and sitting over on this side, so we'll stay kind of in the middle here this evening. Uh, a few weeks ago in our, our study from Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul directs attention to Psalm 32 where David talks about how blessed it is to have your sins forgiven and to have uh, your, your transgressions covered and to God not to impute our sins against us or record our sins against us. And I, uh, I thought, boy, that'd be a, a, a... You know, sometimes you come across something you like to say more about, but you don't have time. I thought, boy, that'd be a, that'd be a good study to follow up on a little bit, just talking about being blessed. You know, we use we throw that word blessed around in in our Christian jargon. Talk about being, you know, this being a blessing or that being a blessing, about being blessed and whatnot. And uh, sometimes we're not real clear on exactly what we are are talking about. So I had some intention to just uh, do kind of a topical study and, and look at a number of different passages that uh, talk about being blessed. Of course, we got the Beatitudes. We have. Uh, Psalm 32, we have other many other passages through the course of Scripture, I thought uh, maybe we'd uh, go ahead and do a study on that, and uh, I got to Psalm 1, and I got stuck there. <laughs> I, d I didn't get any further as I uh, started looking through Psalm 1 again, doing a little meditating on Psalm 1, and thinking about Psalm 1, and uh, looking over some notes and, and some commentaries and things like that about Psalm 1, I, uh, I just didn't get any further. And the uh, title we hung on the message was uh, Being Blessed. And, uh, boy, the Psalm 1's all about being blessed. It's a great psalm. It talks about the, the blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. And we'll read the rest of it here in a minute. But uh, Psalm 1 is, is a great psalm. In fact, it's kind of a, an introductory psalm to the whole book of Psalms. It's a great start. On some of the same themes that we have introduced in Psalm 1, you see show up time and time and time again uh, throughout the rest of the Psalter, and uh, just the re recurring themes there. But uh, follow along as we read, we look at what, the, uh, what being blessed really is all about. David says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be planted like a tree, should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. First thing we ought to consider is that term blessed, and it, it sometimes it's translated this way, all the happinesses of, it's in, a, in a plural sense, and, and it's the idea of, of, of tremendous, genuine Happiness. Sometimes people talk about wanting to be happy. Of all the things in the world they would want, they want to be happy. And so many times when they talk about being happy, it's basically having 
having a good life because circumstances are good. But when God talks about this hap- kind of happiness, this kind of blessedness, we find that it's not just based on circumstances. But rather, this is a, a blessedness, a happiness that is involves contentment, and it involves satisfaction. And literally, the psalmist is saying here, oh, how completely happy. In fact, we might even liken it to the New Testament concept of, of joy which is a deep-seated sense of well-being that comes from knowing how well-off we really are and, oh, how well-off we are in Christ. And as he goes on from this term, he talks about the kind of man that has this kind of contentment, this kind of satisfaction, this kind of a, a positive approach to life regardless of circumstances. And the first thing he introduces here when he talks about this is the idea of spiritual concepts sometimes we might say oh man how blessed is the person that that has good health you know if you've got good health you are really blessed well i enjoy good health i thank god for good health some of you that have been battling that flu that or viral stuff or or respiratory stuff that hangs on for seemingly months at a time you say boy it'd be a great blessing to have good health but you know you can have poor health and still be still be blessed. Uh, some of our greatest hymns have been written by people that have not had good health. They had a lot of time on their hands sometimes because they were confined. There were things they, you know, they just couldn't get out and do, and so they, they contemplated life, and they contemplated God, and they contemplated the Scriptures. And some of our greatest songs, think of Fanny Crosby and, and Amy Carmichael and some of those that didn't have the greatest health, and yet that you know, truly were blessed in their lives. Sometimes they were, boy, if, if I just had a, a million dollars, I'd really be blessed. Of course, now people don't want just a million. They want a couple million. You know, inflation's here, right? Uh, but, you know, you can have all that money and, and still have a miserable, miserable existence, can't you? Where, where does real blessedness, blessedness come from? Where does real, genuine, lasting full, complete, satisfying happiness, where's that rooted? Well, it's rooted in where we are spiritually. It's rooted in our relationship with God. And the first thing that uh, that David introduces here is, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. He says the first thing about somebody that's truly blessed is he's a separated person, separated man. And we talk about separate, we're not talking about being a monk up or a hermit up in a monastery or being a hermit in a cave or, or back in the Middle Ages, sometimes they'd sit up on poles. They have a high pole with a platform up there that they'd really get close to God. And they'd sit up there and be away from everybody. But, but no, it, it's talking basically about not walking in the counsel of ungodly, worldly principles. Uh, living your life according to wrong teaching, wrong philosophies, wrong ideas, wrong counseling, uh, bad advice, bad psychiatrists, uh, bad books. Uh, you know, we really need to watch what we program into our, into our minds, into our lives. We need to watch who we, who we listen to and who we pay attention to. We need to, first of all, not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. There are some that would lead you astray. You know, there are people that would tell you that uh, 
you need to look out for just number one. And if you don't look out for number one, nobody else is going to. Well, that flies in the face of everything you read in Scripture, doesn't it? The Bible talks about not putting ourselves first. The Bible talks about putting Christ first. The Bible talks about putting others ahead of ourselves. Read the book of Philippians sometime. There's a whole New Testament book that deals with this concept of Christian joy. We've been studying it on, on Wednesday evenings in the adult Bible study, and we are just moving into chapter 4 now, but uh, we see great truths there about how we can have the, the joy of the Lord. And one of the things that gives Paul some real credibility as he writes the book of Philippians is, you know where he's at when he's writing that? He's in a Roman prison. He's on trial for his life, and he's saying things like, for him to live is Christ, to die is gain. He's saying things like being caught in a, a straight between two things. On the one hand, he wants to depart and be with the Lord, which is far better. On the other, he still wants to stay behind and continue to have a fruitful ministry to the believers in Philippi and to, and to others. But uh, we need to be not walking in the counsel of the ungodly, not, not living in such a way that you're, you're living your life based upon wrong counsel, wrong direction, wrong teaching. Uh, the way of the world passes away. We need to make sure we're following God's way. He also talks about the, the, the blessed man doesn't stand in the path of sinners, uh, doesn't do what the world does, doesn't stand in the path of sinners, even, even sinning Christians. Now, sometimes sinning Christians can set the worst example for us, and we might be, we might be tempted to follow their example. He moves on and he says, and also the, the blessed man does not sit in the seat of the scornful. He doesn't become a scorner. He doesn't become cynical. He doesn't scorn God and the word of God and the ways of God. If you notice here, you've got kind of a progression here. The man's pictured as, first of all, in his walk, and then where he's standing, and then where he's sitting down comfortably. The, uh, the unblessed man, the ungodly man, is one who sits in the seat of the scornful. He's identified with the scornful. He's identified with the ungodly belief systems of this world. And the, the godly man, the truly happy man, that's not where he goes. We continue to be separate from this world and the ways of this world, and the teaching of this world, and, and we just don't quite fit in. One of the other things we learned in Philippians 3 is the fact that uh, we, our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. And we're, we're looking for our Savior to come back from heaven and one day give us glorified resurrection bodies like his own resurrection body. We need to have a view toward, towards heavenly things. We need to not get wrapped up and the things of this life and the things of this world, we need to recognize this world's temporary. This life temp is just temporary. We're only here for a while. And when you think about what Scripture says about this life down here, it's likened to a watch in the night. It's likened to a vapor. It's likened to a, a grass that grows up in the morning and burns in the afternoon. It, it just doesn't last that long. But we have eternity to look forward to. And so we need to make sure we don't get caught up in the counsel and the scornfulness of this world system. 
this world in which we live. We need to keep a view of eternity. I sure, as I've quoted this a number of times, I love the name for our youth group, Alive, Always Living in View of Eternity. Now, that's a good concept, not just for teenagers. That's a good concept for uh, young at harders. That's a good concept for young marrieds, old, ma- old, uh, old marrieds. It's a good concept for young people, older people, always living in view of eternity. We find that uh, the truly happy man is not just a, a separated man, but he's a searching man. And where he's doing his searching is from the Word of God. He's looking to God for direction. If you're not going to get your counsel from this, war, from this world, you're not going to listen to the advisors of this world, where are you going to get your information for a living? Well, you're going to get it from God. And if you're going to get it from God, where are you going to get it from? You're going to get it from the Word of God. And that's where he moves on in, in verse 2. He says, His delight is in the law of the Lord. He's talking about the Scriptures here. Uh, for us, this is Old Testament and New Testament. For David, it was pretty much the, the Old Testament and not the whole Old Testament. But he's talking about the Scriptures, the Word of God. And really, when you think about it, only a pure man can delight in the Word of God. If you get out of fellowship with the Lord, or you've got sin in your life, you start reading Scripture, what happens? It convicts you. Yeah, you realize that, that you're off base. In fact, sometimes we, we may get off track a little bit spiritually, and we avoid reading our Bible. We may avoid getting out to church. We may avoid the Word of God in, in all sorts of different ways. We, we, we avoid it. In order to delight in Scripture, we need to be walking in harmony with the author of Scripture. And the, the, the blessed is the man who, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And I point this out quite a bit when we come across it, but if you notice the word Lord, what do you see about it? It's all capital letters. That's the, the covenant name for God, Yahweh. It's the, the name that means the living God, the, the true God, the God who, who, who makes a covenant with his people, the God who makes promises. There's a lot packed into that particular, that particular name. And uh, we delight in His Word, the God who gives promises and keeps His promises. The God who, who's a living God and not a dead God, not an imaginary God, but the true and only living God that there is. We delight in His Word. In fact, we delight so much, it says that for the truly blessed man says in his law he meditates day and night uh, meditation is the idea of acquiring truth and then mastering an idea or mastering that truth a couple of the things that are connected with meditating are withdrawing and thinking why do we have to withdraw to meditate? Won't be distracted. You mean there's lots of distractions in this world? Yeah, sometimes you need to find a quiet place. I thank God for my study. Uh, I 
I've had several different, three different studies in the course of my ministry. And uh, I am, you know, I enjoy being home, but I'm thankful I never had to have my office at home. I'm very easily distracted. And I'm thankful that I have the opportunity to go into the study and there, and there study, and there pray, and there think, and contemplate Scripture, and, and read Scripture, and, and, and compare Scripture with Scripture, and, you know, I hope one of the things you do is not just read the Bible. We're, we're doing the Read Through the New Testament project this year. How's that going? Going okay? Going all right? Enjoying that? It's been good, hasn't it? And we, we talked a little bit about whether we tackle a Read Through the Whole Bible program or, or Read Through the New Testament. Pastor Mark came up with, with just going with the, the New Testament. And that, that's good. I, I believe in reading through the Bible in a year, but the only problem with that is sometimes you read through it and you don't pick up a whole lot. Because right? you're trying to read such big chunks that you just don't take time to think about it. Well, one of the things with uh, a smaller passage of Scripture is you read it and you think about it. Okay, what's that mean? What's that saying? How's that apply to my life? How can I make an application here? What, what's that truth in, involved for me? The, the term meditate comes from the idea of a, a cow chewing its cud. You know, cow eats the grass, chews up the grass, swallows the grass, brings the grass back up in a cud, works it over some more, and whatnot. You know, that's the picture of what we're talking about doing with Scripture here. You know, there, there are folks who talk about different kinds of meditation. I remember a number of years ago, transcendental meditation was a real big thing. Where I pastored in Iowa, uh, Fairfield, Iowa, was about 30 miles from where we pastored, and that's where they had uh, Maharishi International University. And the guy that headed that whole thing up was Maharishi Mahesh Yogi was the guy's name. And uh, at any rate, they pushed this, this transcendental meditation where the idea was you empty your mind, and it was based upon Eastern mysticism, Oriental mysticism. You empty your mind, and basically you slip your mind into neutral, and you don't think. And one of the things they used to do with, to, to accomplish that was had what they called a mantra that they would say over and over again. And it turned out some of the mantras that they used turned out to be names of Hindu deities. Kind of a dangerous thing to be messing with. Sometimes they just go, hmm, just kind of hum a little bit. But they're trying to empty their mind, get the mind in neutral. That's not what biblical meditation is. That's not what Christian meditation is. That's not what godly meditation is. Godly meditation involves focusing the mind, withdrawing from distractions, focusing the mind upon God and upon God's truth, and thinking about that and contemplating it. One, one great phrase, if you ever wonder what meditation is all about, it's kind of summed up in Psalm 46, verse 10. Anybody know what it says there? Be still and know that I am God. There's the withdrawing. Be still. Sometimes just settle down. Get out of the rat race for a while. 
don't, don't always have to be doing something or listening something or watching something. Get apart and be still. Be still. But don't empty your mind. You know, a lot of us don't have that much there to begin with. But we don't empty our mind. But what do we contemplate? Be still. And God says, know that I am God. Well, there's a lot packed into that statement, isn't there? Know that I am God. First of all, when we think about the fact that the God of the Bible is God, the, the, the God who is Jesus, is God incarnate, is God. First thing that tells us is He's God, we're not. Be still and know that He is God, not you and me. He's in control, not us. It's not our way, it's His way. Be still and know that I am God. God's in control. He's the Lord of the universe. We do not live in a runaway world or a runaway universe. There's a plan. There's an order. There's a God who has it all under control. Aren't you glad for that? Be still and know that I am God. Satan is very powerful. Satan is evil. Satan hates God and hates the people of God. Satan has a horrible plan and wants to destroy your life you believe that? There is a conspiracy against us. There's one wonderful thing that I am so thankful for when it comes to Satan. You know what that is? He's not God. <laughs> Aren't you glad he's not on the throne? As wicked as he is, as so bent on destroying us as he is, he's not on the throne. God's on the throne. Wow. What a wonderful thing it is to contemplate that. That's meditating on Scripture. Joshua 1. Joshua's encouraged to meditate on God's Word day and night. Uh, a whole lot in Scripture about meditating. So we find that the, the truly happy man is, is the meditating man. He's the searching man. He's, he's focusing on Scripture. And we can do that how often? Not just Sunday morning from 11 to 12, or if you make it to Sunday school, 9.30 to 12. Day and night. Scripture ought to be part of our daily thinking, our constant thinking. We have something come up in our life. What's God say about this? Well, how does the Lord want me to respond to this? I've got this thought. Well, what's God say about this thought that I've got here right now? I want to get even with somebody. What's God say about that? We need to contemplate Scripture even day and night. It's a continuing continuing process. In fact, let me encourage you. You ever have times sometimes when you wake up in the night and you can't go back to sleep? Meditate on Scripture. You know, by the way, that's one of the advantages of hiding God's Word in your heart. You don't even have to get your phone out and look up your Bible app. You don't have to turn the lights on and open up the Scriptures. It, you know, just take some Scripture you've got that you've memorized over the years and contemplate those. Think about those. Think about the truth. Think about the birth, what it means. And the devil will probably rock you to sleep. <laughs> he doesn't want you contemplating God's Word. Don't count sheep. Meditate on Scripture. 
If you're going to count sheep, then think about the Lord is my shepherd. <laughs> I shall not want. Uh, Jesus Christ is, the, is our, our great shepherd. He's the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. We find that the, the, the godly man, the truly happy man, is separated uh, away from evil, and he's searching the Scriptures. You know, it's not enough just to draw away. As Christians, we ought to not just be against certain things. We need to also be for certain things. We need to draw away from the evil of this world, but we need to draw towards the things of God. We need to take off the old man and what? Put on the new man. We can't leave a vacuum. If we're going to ignore the teaching and the truth that this world tries to put out as truth, we're going to stay away from that. What are we going to put in its place? We need to get into what the actual truth is from God's Word. We find also that the, the truly blessed man is the successful man. We read about here in, in verse 3. He's like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit, brings forth fruit, its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. That's a picture of, of success. And, and by the way, the uh, truly happy man is successful because he's truly happy and contented. It's not that we are truly contented and happy because we're successful. In fact, sometimes God's idea of success is different than our idea of success. The world's idea of success. Was, was Stephen successful? Stephen, yeah, he was successful. He was successful in, in being one of the first deacons in the church. He was successful in faithfully proclaiming God's truth and representing Jesus Christ. Uh, he was very successful. What happened to him? Yeah, he got killed. <laughs> the world might say, that's not so successful. You know, he tried to live his life for Jesus Christ, and look where it got him. Well, it got him to heaven. In fact, it, it got him to the place where when they're stoning him, he looked up and he actually got to see the face of Jesus. And he could have the kind of attitude where he's not condemning those that are around him. He, he's desiring their salvation. How about John the Baptist? Was he successful? Yeah. He was successful because God had a job for him to do. He was supposed to be Jesus' forerunner. He preached, repent, the kingdom of God's at hand. And people repented, except nasty old Herod. What did Herod do to John the Baptist? Yeah, chopped off his head because his wife wanted it that way. And But was he successful? In God's eyes, in, in the eyes of the world, oh, man, poor guy, he ends up dying prematurely, getting his head chopped off. But God said he's successful. He accomplished the mission that God had sent him here to do. And that's really what we need to do. When it talks about being successful and bringing forth fruit and prospering, that's what it is talking Was Jesus successful? Yeah. But didn't he get crucified or something? Didn't he get whipped pretty badly before that and, and scoffed at and 
really. He, he comes to that little country of Israel. You know, he didn't have a big world platform. He just went to little old Israel. And how did even the people in that little country, how did, how did they receive him? He came to his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as do receive him, what? He gives us the authority to become the children of God. And, of course, he was crucified, but he also rose again. And in actuality, he said, I didn't come into this world to be served, but I came to serve, give my life a ransom for many. You are not going to be a success in this life by getting as many people as possible to serve you. That's not what it's about. Success is not about having everybody bow down to us and do things for us. God's got a plan for your life and mine. We don't know how long that plan is going to play out in this world. You know, some people, they may, they may accomplish everything that God has for them to do in 16 years. And the Lord takes them home. Some people, maybe 35. Some people, maybe 95. But the important thing is to do what the Lord has for us to do. And one of the things that this picture here is this matter of the tree. Trees were, were very valuable in Palestine by the time that David is writing this. Now, David appreciated trees as a shepherd. Uh, picture yourself as a, a shepherd like David. Why would you like trees? Shade. And you've got, you know, you're out here all day long. You've got to watch these stupid sheep. You know, and, and what do sheep do? They, they graze. They eat grass. You know, not a whole lot of excitement. But what can you do as a shepherd? Well, you can sit in the shade. You can put your back against the tree. If it's a fruit tree, you can get some fruit off the tree. David appreciated trees. And he says the truly blessed man, he's like a tree. Like a tree. Uh, valuable. And one thing about a tree is that a tree is firmly planted. This is talking about stability. The truly blessed man has stability in his life. And it says he's like a, should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. That term planted is a passive verb. I'll give you a little English lesson here tonight. When a verb is passive, what's that mean? It means somebody else does the action and we are the recipient of it. Now, probably when we go home this evening, my wife will feed me. Uh, that doesn't mean she's going to peel grapes and drop them in my mouth or anything like that. But she will make some food available for me, and I will be the recipient of it. She'll be active. Maybe not. Maybe she'll make me do it myself. I don't know. But uh, I'll be the recipient of it. Well, this talks about the, the truly blessed man is like a tree planted, planted by God. God's the active one. He gives the stability in our lives. He plants us. And plants us by water. You know, what, what's the great thing about water? Well, especially in a place like Palestine with all the desert regions, and it's good when there's water around because trees need water. They need water. And in times of drought, they, they really need water. And if they're by a body of water, that can be a great thing and really, really help out. And uh, by the way, 
Do you know where we get stability? Do we know, do you know where we can have a solid life, how that can happen? It comes from meditating on Scripture. It comes from hiding God's Word in your heart. It comes from knowing what God says about things. You know, God talks about you and me walking through the valley of the shadow of death. What do we do? We walk through the valley. It's not a dead-end canyon. We walk through it. Uh, we know no matter where we go that God goes with us, right? Uh, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Great. we got great, great help from God's Word to give us stability in life. We don't have to just go on with the latest fad thing that comes up. But we have God's Word that gives us our stability. He talks about the fruit and it's firmly planted. It, it, it is fruitful. All Christians bear fruit. Now, if you really know Christ as your Savior, you are going to bear fruit. One of my favorite parables is the one of the, the different kinds of soil. Uh, what an encouragement as we read that passage of Scripture. It talks about the fact when we sow the seed of the gospel that there's different things that result. Sometimes you sow it, and it's like the seed falls on the roadway. And sometimes you share the gospel with somebody, and it's like talking to a wall, right? And the birds come, take the seed, and they're gone. Sometimes it falls on, on rocky ground where it seems like something's happening, but there's no root. Sometimes it, it seems like something's happening, and there's thorns and thistles that choke it out. So there's a lot of times we share the gospel with somebody and we don't see lasting results. Has that been your experience? So we ought to quit, right? We ought to quit passing out gospel tracts, right? We ought to quit seeking to share the gospel with people, right? No. Because sometimes what happens? We share the gospel and it falls on good ground, fertile ground, and it takes root and it blossoms forth into life and there is fruit sometimes 30 fold sometimes 60 fold sometimes a hundred fold what's that mean well that means that we're not all going to bear the same amount of fruit that we're all different but every single true believer is going to bear fruit and there's two kind of fruit in view here in the New Testament. One is the fruit of the Spirit. If you are a true believer, the fruit of the Spirit is going to show up in your life. Where would you find something about the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5. And we read what the fruit of the Spirit is. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. And against those such things, there is no law. What is the fruit of the Spirit? That's Christ-like character. If we're, going to, if we're truly a believer, there's going to be some Christ-like character that's going to show forth in our life. By the way, it is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits. It's kind of like a cluster of grapes, you know, where they, uh, they're together on the cluster and they all develop. It's not like, well, boy, I'm doing great on the joy part, but my love, I just don't have any love at all. Every believer is going to have some of all the fruit of the Spirit that's going to develop in our lives. 
Secondly, when it talks about fruit, it's also talking about reaching people with the gospel of Christ. And if we're true believers, we're going to share the gospel with people. And, and when it comes down to fruit bearing here, who's responsible for whether fruit comes to fruition or not? God is. We can share. We can share the gospel truth. But who has to bring life? God has to do that. We sow. We plant. Who gives the increase? God gives the increase. So this tree is like, it's, it's fruitful. And by the way, the, the, the tree that's pictured here, it brings forth its fruit and its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. Whatever it does, he shall prosper. This is a picture of a, an attractive tree, a nice-looking tree. I don't know about you, but what a joy it is in the right times of the year to drive through and see the, see the apple trees with the fruit on them, to see pear trees with the fruit on them, to see the... Uh, strawberry plants with the strawberries on them, things like that. Well, what, what a neat thing. Isn't that attractive to see that? It's beautiful to see that. You know something? As Christians, we ought to be attractive. Now, I'm not talking about our physical appearance, but Christians ought to be attractive as far as our character and as far as our kindness, our gentleness, our patience with other people, our love for other people. Are those qualities attractive? Sure they are. And they ought to be part of us. You know, sometimes people think they're being persecuted for being Christians. When actually, people don't like them because they're ornery. You know, they're just difficult to get around, get along with. They're, they're not very Christ-like in their, their character. We find the Lord promises that we will we'll prosper. We'll prosper. The godly man prospers, and he's attractive in, in doing that. Now, he gives a contrast here as you get down to verse 4. It says, but the ungodly are not so. Are not so. Those are three big words. Well, how are the ungodly not so? Number one, they're not happy. They're not happy. Sometimes they look happy. Sometimes we think they've got it made. Sometimes we think ungodly people. You look at uh, some of the uh, Hollywood actors and things like that and all the obscene amount of money that they get for, for making a, a movie and, and the huge houses that they live in and the, you know, the, the nice new cars they can drive and things like that. But, but really, are they happy? For the most part, they're not happy. In fact, they've got, you know, tabloids they put out about who's divorcing who and, and you know, who's running around with whatever. And, and you know, what, 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 a, what a sad picture that is. The ungodly are not so. They're, they're not happy. They don't have that, that contentment, that satisfaction. They do walk in the counsel of the ungodly. They're not like the truly happy men. They, they, they do stand in the path of sinners. They are scornful. Scornful, especially some of the uh, those in such utter rebellion against the things of God today, and uh, you know they're talking about defunding Planned Parenthood with government money. Won't that be wonderful if that happens? I sure hope it does. What's the reaction to a lot of people that think you ought to have abortion on demand for that? Are they a little bit scornful? 
violently scornful, huh? They, they want to protect that abortion on demand. They talk about they're concerned about women's health. Well, that's baloney. It's not women's health. They want to be able to snuff out the life of a, a baby in the womb because it's inconvenient to carry that child. How sad. They're not so. They are scornful. They're not happy. They don't delight in the Word of God. They want to live their own way. They want to try to get rid of the Creator if they possibly can. They want to get rid of accountability to God in any way that they possibly can. So they are, they're not so. They're not so. And uh, we find that they don't have anything, don't want to have anything to do with the Lord. It goes on, says, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Sometimes we look at the ungodly, and as we said a moment ago, it seems like they've got it made. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 73, written by a guy by the name of Asaph under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And Asaph's having a rough time. He says, I, I almost, I know that God's good to Israel, but as for me, I almost fell. I, I almost stumbled. I almost slipped because I saw the prosperity of the wicked and I saw the pain of the godly. You know, one of the uh, most dangerous things that you and I can contend with in this life is becoming envious of wicked people that seem to have it a whole lot better than what we do. And, and let's face it, what we say, sin doesn't pay. You know what? On the short term, some sin seems to pay pretty well, doesn't it? But we're talking about the long term. Now, God's not confined to the next five minutes. God's not confined with, with working for the next five years. What does God's plan envelop? It envelops all of eternity. And as far as the wicked man, who doesn't care about the things of God, who is scornful towards the, the things of God, it says they're like chaff. They're like chaff. Yeah, the chaff's here right now. Comes off of the wheat. But what happens when a strong wind comes along? It's gone. And the thing that the wicked does with his life What's it going to mean for eternity? It's not going to mean anything at all. The wicked are not so. The ungodly are, are like chaff, which the wind drives away. And, you know, sometimes we think about things that people build their lives upon and how, how they're going to have to leave it all behind. Ultimately, the biggest difference between the ungodly and the truly happy man who's godly is when we stand before God. It says, therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. He'll be in judgment. He will be judged, but he will have no standing before God. You and I do, you and I do have a standing before God. We, we can stand before God with confidence. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. We can stand before God with really the assurance we're going to enter God's presence for all of eternity. Why do we have that kind of standing? Because we stand in the righteousness 
of Jesus Christ. And we can stand before God and stand with him forever in glory. But it says, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Not everybody's going to heaven. We allow virtually anybody to come in here into the church to worship with us. It doesn't matter what they look like, who they are. They are, are welcome to come here and hear the gospel and be involved or, or see the worship of God that's taking place. And, and hopefully as they hear the gospel, they might respond to it. They're welcome inside the doors of this church. But you know what? Heaven's not that way. Not everybody's going to heaven. You go over and read that uh, 21st chapter of the book of Revelation where it talks about how, how wonderful heaven is. And you got seven verses that talk about how that there's, uh, there's no sorrow, there's no pain, there, there's, there's no more death when we get there. And, and God's with us and he calls us his people and, and he's our God. And you get down to verse 8 and, and verse 8 says, and, and outside are the unbelieving and the cowards and whatnot. Not everybody's going to heaven. And those who, who reject God and the things of God and reject the Lord Jesus Christ, this is as good as they're going to ever have it in this lifetime. For eternity, they'll be separated from God, separated from the congregation of the righteous. And as far as you and I are concerned, as the people of God, Maybe you have it bad down here sometimes. Uh, you know, sickness, mistreatment, trials that come along. Guess what? This is as bad as you're ever going to have it. Yeah, you're dealing with difficulty right here. It's temporary, right? It's temporary. And we're going on to something better. We're going on. To spend eternity with the Lord. Why? For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. How do we get into heaven? Because the Lord knows us. We know Christ as Savior. He knows us. He puts his name upon us. We belong to him. The ungodly, his way, he'll perish. Don't, don't follow the way of the ungodly. Follow God's way. That's the way of, of true satisfaction and true blessing. And, and it's not something we earn for ourselves, but it's something that God gives to us in His grace. He blesses us in His grace and in His forgiveness and in His mercy that He bestows upon us. Father, thank you for blessing us. Thank you for telling us in Scripture just how how blessed we really are. Sometimes we forget that. We get caught up in the things of this world and we forget the true, lasting, eternal blessings that are connected with our relationship with you. Help us not to forget. Help us to remember. Help us to meditate on your word. Help us to walk in fellowship with you, to separate from the ways of this world and not allow them, them to control our lives. Father, we'll glorify you and give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen.